This episode of The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This Kindle book was brought to you by Dr. Damien Dauphiné, discussing specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic populations. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, And each week, the pod doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week, discussing all the crazy ways the amazing foot can go wrong and cause us problems. Like us on Spotify and Apple and other platforms where you find favorite podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and follow us via our videos on YouTube and like and subscribe. And again, thank you for joining us on this journey with The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Hussein. And we are going to jump ship from foot and ankle for a short period of time, uh, tie it into foot and ankle here a little bit, but uh, talk a little bit about COVID-19 because uh there have been obviously some some serious trends that are worsening in the United States. I, I you know I, I hate it when we lead the the world in in things like uh, new deaths. Um, that's clearly not where we want to be right now with this. Yeah, you don't uh, want to be virus. number one in deaths. No, uh, you know it's kind of like golf. You want low numbers. Um, we don't want to be where we are, and unfortunately, we're in this we're in this position. Uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, but today we wanted to just run through the numbers briefly just to kind of capsulize it, but then also talk about some things that uh, we've learned recently are, are a bottleneck to getting rapid testing in the hands of every single uh, American and multiple tests so that we can be testing ourselves at home. And we can talk a little bit about why that's not happening. One of the reasons why Dr. Hussein and I got into this is we're both fans of Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan is a, a really smart guy. And uh, Spot, Spotify uh, podcaster extraordinaire. He's clearly uh, the number one podcaster in the world. And has been doing this for a while. And he's become uh, good friends with Lex Friedman, who is an MIT professor who's actually involved in artificial intelligence and involved in autonomous vehicles. And I love listening to both of these guys. Lex uh, has some fantastic uh, guests, some really, really interesting guests. And one of the guests that he had recently was Michael Minna. And this was a few weeks ago. And Dr. Michael Minna is an assistant professor of epidemiology and immunology at Harvard in the T.H. Chan School of Public Health uh, Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics. And he is an associate medical director of microbiology at Brigham and Women's Hospital at Harvard Medical School. Very smart guy. And he's been trying to champion the idea that we're missing the boat um, by putting all of our eggs in the vaccination, the COVID-19 vaccination bucket. Uh, And 
I, I think his main point is that rapid testing would allow us to find out who's infectious, isolate them for a period of time so that they don't infect another 130 people, which is the average number of people that are infected when someone is transmitting virus and doesn't know they have the disease, uh, which is why our numbers suck. And Dr. Hussein, we can, we can talk a little about the numbers. So what do you got here for us? Yeah, so general numbers as far as the U.S. goes compared to the other major nations is we're at 360 plus thousand as of yesterday. Uh, total, yesterday. total deaths. Total deaths. Yeah. We're talking about deaths because that's the strongest number. Number of cases, if we're able to take care of them, I'm not too stressed about. Although it does has side effects and further implications, uh, deaths are kind of the... That's kind of the end of the line. Yeah, there's no, there's no reversing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, you don't want to see this, and and this is clearly two thousand three hundred eighty-seven per day. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the scary number. And look at the rest of the world. I mean, yeah, India, a, Brazil, Russia. I mean, some of these some of these countries were a little concerned about their reporting. Obviously, I think some of them have been uh, underreporting deaths because they don't want the PR nightmare that it entails. I, I get that, but. We're all in this together. This is a global pandemic. This is a global problem. And and without data, we don't see the trends. And these trends are god-awful. Uh, clearly not what we want at this stage, um, coming upwards of a year into this. <laughs> so, and this is really scary. This and, and it's not, you were bringing up offline, we were talking about rapid testing. Clearly, we are doing more testing in the United States. And so that would show there are more cases. But the death rate is is rapidly increasing again. Yeah, we're at our third peak, uh, if you've been taking into account the the mild peak that we had back in August. But uh, our third peak, we're seeing the numbers trend higher and higher. Thanksgiving caused us a bump. Christmas just passed, is causing us a bump. Kids are home from school and colleges, and and the numbers of cases and the number of deaths have progressively been increasing. We're seeing numbers close to two to 3,000 each day in the U.S. That's Twice the number of 9-11 deaths, I mean, each day. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely insane. And and one of the the issues is, again, the lack of rapid testing. And, and I just heard a stat the other day that the city of New York has only distributed about a third of the vaccine. Why is that? I, I, it's clearly they don't have enough people being able to, to do the injections. They don't have enough manpower. It's just, it's absolutely obscene. Um, so, and, and you and I were talking about this offline about why, why don't we have every single practitioner who has the capacity to do an injection doing these? Yeah. So I actually had the office manager, um, reach out online, uh, to the, uh, what's it called? TDL. Moderma and oh, oh, okay. whatever the, uh, Pfizer and Moderma. Yeah. To reach out to them to see if we can't start giving people the injection here. We give injections all day, you know. We have lidocaine, DEXA, Kenalog, and we would get 1,000 injections a day. And this is another injection that we could easily give. And they're limiting it to specialty specifics uh, like primary care or infectious disease. They're not letting um, most other specialties It's just do. absurd. Yeah. It's just absurd. It, you, to do an injection of any material, you have to be prepared to deal with the repercussions, and that would be an acute anaphylactic problem yeah the injection procedure part itself i mean a monkey could do it yeah it's it's dealing with the potential repercussions if they have a hypersensitivity yeah clearly that's that's not common with this vaccine 
And we have to worry about those exact same things every time we do lidocaine, which is an anesthetic. Every Anytime we do triamcinolone, which is a steroid, there's the potential that that patient, particular patient could be allergic to that medication. And we have to be prepared to deal with that. We are prepared to deal with that. We do, you know, tens or twenties of these a day, uh, every single day, five days a week. As um, podiatrists, we're doing HPIs, we're doing full medical care management. History and physicals. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. history and physicals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we're doing this this work every single day. And to, to clearly exclude us as a specialty from providing a public health benefit is absurd. So scope of practice being what it is, this is absurd. This is a pandemic, a global pandemic. And you're, are, you're literally cutting out an entire specialty who could be doing these vaccinations five days a week. I would, we could even do them on the weekends. I mean, this is such a big problem for my community. I would, we would open up on the weekends and do them if we had to, I, it, but we don't because we can't, which is absurd. So that's one issue. The other issue is, and Michael Minna discusses this with Lex Friedman. He's also written a piece that was in Time Magazine, published November 17th. And back in November, he said that widespread and frequent rapid antigen testing, public health screening, screening to suppress outbreaks is the best possible tool we have at our disposal today, and we're not using it. And one of the reasons that we're not using it is the companies that produce this strip, this tiny little rapid test strip is cents. It's, it's 10, it's 20 pennies cents, on pennies on the dollar. Uh, but it's being considered a medical device, which has to go through the FDA, which is absurd. We have a global pandemic problem that if the CDC would get together with the administration, our, our presidential administration, whether it's Trump or Biden, who neither one of them seems to be moving on this. Yeah. They could literally wave their wand and say, this is a public health device. We are in a global pandemic. Uh, the rules change temporarily. This is no longer a medical device. This is a public health device. And we need to push these through. And they could start producing millions of these a week, yeah. tens of millions of these a week. And we could have them in the hands of every American who could test themselves two, three days a week if we wanted to. So they're treating it like a medical device, like a, a glucometer or like uh, any type of right. take-home TENS units. I mean, all, lymphedema pumps. When you're not involved, when you're not in a pandemic, that's fine. We yeah. should have that level of of scrutiny on medical devices. But when it's a global pandemic, the rules have changed and we don't seem to be willing to change the rules enough to save lives. It's absurd. If you look at these rapid test things, they almost look like those litmus tests that you can do for like chemistry experiments. You well, it's know? like a pre they look like pregnancy, it's pregnancy tests. tests. Exactly, that's a prime example. Yeah. You literally put a drop of blood on there, your activator agent, and you sit there and you wait for a line or no line to show up to see if it's positive or there, not. There's one line that shows that the control has worked, and then you're waiting for that cross. Yeah. And if you and if the cross hits and you got the second line, then you know you're positive. And you're pregnant. <laughs> and if you don't, and you just see the one line, then you know the control worked, that the device was not deactivated somehow, and that the, the testing strip was, was adequate. Um, but that's it. That's it. That's all it takes. And so, we could be testing each other you know, several days a week, you could test before you go to dinner you, and know that you're not going to infect an entire group of people in your restaurant. In Dr. Minna's paper, he said that if the U.S. decided to do this and on a mass scale, it would cost them $5 billion, roughly, and they could give 20 test strips per household 
and two, the PCR testing. Right, testing as a backup. Strips. Yeah. Uh, so if you got tested positive, you on the rapid antigen. On the rapid antigen, you could sit at home, relax, wait another twenty-four hours, test again, and if you got a second positive result, then go do your PCR testing by right. all means. Right. You know when you get tested positive, you have loved ones in the house or loved ones that in you know that you're going to go visit. Stay at home. Yeah, you, no con- you gonna- just you just contact trace everybody you've come in contact with, and and then everybody knows. Okay, this person's been been isolated, and and they're not going to continue to infect people. It's a silly thing. I mean, this is something that could easily be pushed out. This is like glucometers, except without an electronic device. I mean, and this is another quote from from Dr. Minna's uh, piece in Time Magazine, where he says the U.S. government can produce and pay. For a full nationwide rapid antigen testing program at a minute fraction, literally 0.05% to 0.2% of the cost that the virus is wreaking on our economy now. So of course. Just another another way of, of continuing to allow the economy to open, to allow people to be out there, but but isolate those folks that are symptomless, yeah. asymptomatic, and are potentially infectious. And, and that's not that difficult to do with a simple rapid test that's pennies on the dollar. The fact that, that we don't have access to this is insane. Yeah. We have multiple companies that can produce this, Abbott being one of them. Abbott has a fantastic version of this. And I, I think access to it is, has been hindered by this, this FDA approval process, which shouldn't even be on the table any longer because this is a public health emergency. This is a public health problem. If you take the social aspect of this, someone who gets exposed finds out that, you know, oh, no, I got exposed to a cousin or a friend who tested positive for COVID. Now they have to quarantine themselves for 14 days. And you're sitting there, you're like, I'm not having symptoms. I'm fine. I don't have to do anything. You could rap- I'm going to go back to work. Yeah. You could rapid test, find out you're negative and go back to work. Yeah. That's the plus. Yeah. But people are going back to work. And if they're a carrier... They're like, oh, I'm symptom, I'm not uh, symptomatic. I have no, you know, cough, no fever. But they're actually spreading it when they go back oh, to yeah. work, and then their coworkers get it. We know multiple practices that have gotten sweeped because of this COVID. One of our nurses just recently got one of our COVID, MAs, and then we yeah. had to go get a. We had to all get get tested all it, over it, again. You know, it basically shut the practice down for a day. Yeah. Could have been longer. Thankfully, we all tested negative, but. Uh, what a nightmare. If we all had the rapid tests in our hands, we could have done it that afternoon instead of, you know, basically begging all any of the internal medicine doctors in the area who had access yeah. to the test to let us come in and test everybody. Thankfully, and, and special to Stan Evans, Dr. Yes. Evans, man, we really appreciate you because we could have been shut down for several days or, or you know, an entire week. So Dr. Yeah. Evans, because Stanley these Evans places. These places that are doing these testings are booked out for days and days oh, yeah. and days. It's abs- it's absolutely insane. Um, one other, I, I think we should continue to to keep running down this. So uh, there's a a myth that is um that's spreading right now regarding these rapid testings. They state that rapid antigen testing does not work if you're asymptomatic. That's a myth. It's a misunderstanding yeah. of what you're expecting out of the test. Absolutely. You could be asymptomatic and still get tested positive because if you have the virus in your system, that's what it's testing. It's, it's te- not testing it's for the for- RNA factors that come off of the virus. Right. The most recent Abbott Binax now rapid test studies, the false positive rate has been less than one in 200. And in addition of the confirmatory rapid tests, 
to each household's packet. This is talking about the potential packets. You could bring the specificity to greater than 99.9%. So that's, again, the rapid antigen test backed up with the PCR. Yeah. And you have a specificity of uh, upwards of 99.9%. And, and higher if those confirmatory tests leverage the more specific but much more limited supply of the soon-to-be at-home PCR tests. I mean, it, it, the fact that we don't have this the fact that this isn't more of an uproar, Dr. Min has been talking about this since November. Yeah. And his the title of his his paper was We Could Have This Cornered by Christmas. And that didn't happen. Why? Because we put all our eggs in the vaccine basket. We can't even distribute them because we don't have enough people to distribute them. Yeah. They're saying that if we get more than 50% of the population vaccinated, you know, herd immunity, uh, we should be fine. If it's going to take a while. If we're not giving those shots out, we're not going to get that number. It, it'll take forever. It's going to take months, which is absolutely insane. It, it's interesting. He talks about, you know, leveraging some of the, the biggest companies on the planet, AT&T, Verizon, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, to figure out the easiest one-click reporting tools that anyone can use. Um, because if we reported a fraction of the massive number of tests that people were taking, you'd ultimately have enough epidemiological uh, epidemiological information to, to have the epidemiologists like Dr. Minna be able to find where these outbreaks are happening, these little hotspots, and squash them. That's how you kill a pandemic like this, is you find the outbreaks and you squash them. I'm not an epidemiologist, and I understand that. It, it makes perfect sense. Contact, contact tracing works when you have data. Yeah, we're solely relying on the hospitals and these primary care doctors uh, as far as data sets go. But if we can report the data ourselves, test ourselves, uh, simple, simple following of restrictions, wear your mask, you know, do your part in staying distance. You get exposed, you test yourself, you test positive. Even if 50% of the people who tested positive reported it, uh, we would have such great numbers as far as data sets go to to record this this disaster we're going through. So you know, w- once again, the FDA guidelines are are squashing this. The need to separately qualify a rapid antigen test for symptomatic versus asymptomatic use that's insane, folks. We're in a global pandemic. FDA, pull your head out of your you know what? I mean, th- this is insane. You're slowing development and authorization because it's hard to find asymptomatic people when they're contagious because they think they're fine. So when the antigen test is meant to be positive, uh, so in order to gain an asymptomatic medical claim, you got to find these folks, and they're really they're not they're not easy to find because they're not the ones looking for care. And it takes time for you to get your symptoms. Right. When you get exposed, they say it's between four to seven days when right. you actually start showing symptoms. So you could easily be spreading this virus uh, during those days that you don't have any symptoms, no fever, no cough, no congestion. And, and that's where you're infecting potentially up to 130 other people. Yeah. The Pod Doctors is also brought to you by the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation. The TPMF is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting medical missions, charitable outreach, and medical education that enhance the quality of life for underserved populations. The foundation provides mentoring, training, and networking for postgraduate podiatric medical students and residents and increase access to patient care for the indigent and those in need of treatment 
for diabetic complications, deformities, birth defects, injuries, and other untreated medical issues. If you want to donate to the Texas Podiatric Medical Foundation, please go to our website, www.thepoddoctors.com, and find our GoFundMe account where you can donate to the foundation and help support our medical mission project. Our medical mission project is in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, which is in the state of Guanajuato. Last year, we were in San Miguel for four days and we treated 600 patients and did over 50 surgeries in four days. We were able to go hopefully every year and spend time treating these patients and providing impact in their lives. Requiring, the, requiring these rapid tests to be a public health tool that gets funneled through a medical diagnostic authorization process also runs the risk of diluting down the test metrics that medical diagnostics demand, which again are distinct from the public health issue. So, I mean, this, is, this seems to be a bureaucratic nightmare. I mean, this, the beauty of a bureaucracy and, and government is that they can mobilize and leverage massive amounts of dollars and people and move them in the direction of trying to squash something like this. And we have done a crappy job of leveraging all of the smart people we have, all of the the dedicated healthcare workers that we have and handcuffing them with ridiculous regulations like scope of practice issues for injecting uh, people with a vaccination. Uh, this is insane. I, I'm, I was, you know, uh, kudos to Lex Friedman for having Dr. Minna on, um, Lex, you don't probably never hear this, but maybe you will. I don't know. Um, you're, you're awesome. We really do appreciate all that you do. I think you're, you're doing a fantastic job. You can tell that you're passionate about this and hopefully that passion has come through with my reaction to this because it's just insane that we're still talking about this. Dr. Minna's Time Magazine piece um, in November should have been a massive, massive uh, illustration to our government on what we're doing wrong and what we could be doing better. And apparently that's that's not happened and still not happening. And it's not a Trump issue. It's not a Biden issue. It's it's a governmental issue. It's bipartisan problem. This is not a, a political statement in any means, any way, shape, or means, but they're both failing because yeah. I don't hear the Biden administration talking about uh, their plan for getting rapid tests into the hands of every American. Um, or vaccine. But yeah, I mean, this is insane. Uh, I got vaccinated a week ago uh, with the Moderna vaccine. I've got my second uh, shot coming up on the 28th of January. You know, I had a little soreness. Uh, no other symptoms, you know, anybody who says, you know, that, that uh, the vaccination process is you know, potentially an issue is, is just missing the boat. But again, I would be much more confident in having access to rapid tests and be able to test myself, test my family members, than just rely on the vaccine alone. Because yeah. again, we also have issues with the virus mutating and we're going to need access to rapid antigen tests for potentially new spike proteins, for new antigens on... It's like influenza. Yeah. Every year we get a new um, strain. You know? Right. But it, and if we had access to rapid tests, you're, it's going to be much easier to produce those than vaccines that are specific yeah. for those new, those new waves that we may encounter. 
So again, you know, the, the antigen, the, the rapid antigen testing is, is how we fight this and it's how we're going to continue to fight this. And it doesn't seem like we have any plan for getting this in the hands of, of Americans. And that's, that's sad. And, and this, the crazy thing is that Slovakia has been doing it. Yeah, the UK. The UK, and, and specifically Slovakia. Slovakia, little Slovakia, has, has used the rapid antigen tests in a perfect way, an epidemiologic uh, way, and the epidemiologists are using them as an example of how you can do this and have it be effective. They are squashing the pandemic in Slovakia because they have access to rapid testing. Yeah. And we are the greatest nation in the world, and we're sitting on our hands. We're literally living in history right now. World War II, we had 400,000 deaths. That was immense. And we're creeping up onto it right now. And that was a war. That yeah. was literally a well, war. We're, we're in a war. We're yeah. in a war with bureaucracy. And uh, a virus happens to be involved. But right now, we're in a war with bureaucracy. And, and insane federal regulations that are keeping a public health device out of our hands. If people don't realize, uh, COVID is the third leading cause of death in the U.S. right now. Compared to heart disease and cancer, it's number three. We're not fighting something that's a minute, you know, little problem right now. This is something that's taken out hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, and destroying our economy. It's if we had rapid testing, we could see the economy bounce back. We wouldn't have to close. We wouldn't have to shut down like the UK just did. I mean, the, literally the United Kingdom just went into a lockdown yeah. again. Why? Because they don't have, I'm sure they don't have access like they should for rapid testing either uh, there as well. I mean, they, they started with the vaccinations faster than we did. Yeah. Um, but again, if we had rapid testing at the levels that we need them, which is, you know, 15 to 20 of them for, for every American, we'd be able to, to get a hold of this. And be able to keep people from infecting our fellow Americans. If they give out this rapid testing, you could theoretically say that they probably wouldn't have to give us another uh, bonus, whatever the oh, whatever that test that the two thousand dollar check, which yeah. you know, I'm, I'm probably I'm not going to complain. I, yeah, no, well, I'm not going <laughs> to qualify for it. I'm sure, but yeah. at the same time, I, I would say get you know take that two thousand, put it back in the pot. Let's start let's start building some rapid tests. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. Two thousand dollars, I'm sure, is a lot to a lot of people, but it it pales in comparison to what we could be generating, um, allowing people to go back to work, allowing yeah. people to prevent uh, them from infecting family members who are at risk. Uh, it's so much more important. Yeah. Uh, They've shut down jobs, restaurants, all these places that you know because people gotten so bad at. Uh, you know, quarantining and, and doing their social distancing and whatnot. And the, the pandemic has just gone out of control. Places have closed down and we could easily open them back up if we could nip this in the bud. If we had rapid testing. You could literally rapid test people on the way into the restaurant. Yeah. You could rapid test yourself waiting in line for your table. Even if they didn't give it out to every household, if they give it to airports, you know, public places. Right. Costco, you're going to Costco and there's yeah. hundreds of people there. If they tested people at the door, that's easy way of preventing people from getting the spread. Yep. And 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 we still need to do the simple things. Yeah. You still need to wash your hands. You wash still need hands. to use your masks. Um, social distancing. Social distancing. Don't go to parties and raves. And right. 
at this moment, that's still important. But theoretically, if you wanted to, I mean, Joe Rogan's talked about this. Joe's talked about this on his podcast. He's like, if we had access to rapid testing, you could rapid test uh, everybody for the antigen, which means they have not only they've been infected, but they they have antigen in their system. You could rapid test, and if they were negative, you could let them go into the concert. And they could they could go watch Joe Rogan uh, with fifty thousand other people, and you wouldn't have a massive outbreak. And that's the difference between this PCR testing and the rapid testing. The PCR testing, you have like a four day lag from when you actually get tested to when you actually find out the results. During those four days, you can easily get tested. I mean, you can <laughs> you could be typhoid the, Mary. Yeah, you could be infecting everybody you know that you yeah. come in contact with. Yep. Yeah, those political events that that happened were the super spreader events. They did the PCR testing before those. Those were four days in between where they've been going around, shaking hands, kissing babies, and now they pick up the COVID. And now when they go to this event, spread like crazy. They could have stopped people at that door, tested them, gave them like 15, 20 minutes of wait time, which I'm sure is nothing. Walk in knowing that you are 100% negative with COVID. Very, 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 very unlikely that you have COVID. I mean, that, that's all we're looking for. We're, yeah. we're trying to play the percentages here. Uh, go back to that, to your, your face mask. Yeah, the type of fabric matters. Yeah, so face mask, simple precaution. Um, most states have kind of set up a, a guideline or uh, regulations to how to wear face masks, what face mask works, what are the recommendations. Uh, in the office here, we, you know, we highly, highly, highly recommend people to wear the face masks. And most I mean, 99.99% of people do. Well, we, we turn them away, honestly. I mean, yeah. if they're not willing to wear a mask, we, we don't see them. It's just yeah. gotten to that point. And you can make your own mask. I mean, there's a lot of information online on, on the best types of masks. You don't have to get like M95, which are the ideal sta- you know type of mask that you can wear. But I mean, you could get a t-shirt. There's those scars that people are wearing. And there's different materials that have been shown to be more effective. Silk is great, but... It's not as effective. You're you're not able to catch that virus before it leaves. I saw a lady uh, that she was wearing one of those like um, net type masks, like, like you can 100% see her face, and then she was wearing the mask under it. But um, that was because she got here and we had to put the mask on. You know, like hey, look, this is obviously not working. Do would you mind wearing this in conjunction? And I mean, and most patients are understanding. But if you if you go to look at this slide on how the uh, virus spreads. I know that people have said that the COVID virus size, whatever is a certain number of microns, I don't know, whatever right. it was, 0.2 microns or so, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, and obviously your cloth isn't able to filter that. But when COVID spreads, it's mostly based on the droplets. Right. You know, it's not the individual, you know, micron that's flying yes. out there. If you were able to catch 99 or 90% of whatever's of coming out. Of the droplets. Out, yeah. We're using these in the hospitals, during surgeries. People use them when they're painting houses, uh, when they're working in chemical plants. People are always wearing masks. There's no reason that the vast majority of people should not be wearing masks whenever we're talking about the lives that we're, we're losing. We don't want to be leading the world in uh, daily deaths due to the pandemic. And we are. I love that one. The antivirus CD. That's... <laughs> I, I seriously hope that lady just thought that was funny. Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, she may have really thought that was an antivirus, but that's fantastic. You know, I, 
we don't want to joke about Corona, but man, we've been dealing with this for almost a year now. And if, if you can't keep your, your, uh, your humor, um, we're all going to be in big trouble, but look at this. I mean, the, speaking, we know this, this is, this is stuff we know, but one layer, yeah. one layer cloth covering, look what it does to the droplets. It's Two a shame. Cloth. It's a shame that we're saying this like it's something new. We know that mass yeah. works. Uh, this is something that is globally evident. You know, whenever you have any type of procedure done, we know that you can spread the uh, viruses, bacteria that are in your mouth. That's why we wear masks. That's why we will gown up, you know, top to bottom. In the ICUs, room. I mean, right. always. But this is and, and look at the difference that a surgical mask makes. And so, and so thankfully, a lot of our patients are wearing those when they come yeah. in the office, which is great. Uh, you got your little cartoon and your spike proteins. Well, let's talk about the amputation rates compared to COVID. So this is this is something that that we saw, I think, anecdotally in the office. We were starting to see more diabetic patients who were coming in further down the line, infections, bone exposure. And so we were doing a significant number of amputations during the original lockdown. Uh, and it was evident that this was an unintended consequence of telling people to shelter at home. People weren't getting the routine care that they were typically getting, and so they were getting wounds that were getting infected, um, and they we were losing an opportunity to intervene early on in that process because they were staying at home. They didn't want to come in. They were worried about COVID, and I think the unintended consequence was we saw amputation rates go up, and this was fascinating. This was published in November uh, with the Journal of the American Podiatric Medical Association. And, and, it, and it literally confirmed what you and I were seeing in the office, which is scary and sad, but um, one, again, one of the unintended consequences of telling people they need to shelter at home. Yeah, the stats don't lie. The odds of any level of amputation was 10.8 times higher during the pandemic versus before. And and probably not the pandemic, but but specifically the lockdown period. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But That's, but now even now we got people that just are diabetic patients that typically would come in for routine care routine every couple checkups. of months. Uh, you know, people who have neuropathy, who have sensory loss, who have had a history of wounds. We get them in sooner. We see them routinely multiple times a year. They weren't coming in. We have people who didn't come in for diabetic shoes this year. Yeah. Period. They haven't come in. We, we were putting the word out, hey, look, we got to change your shoes out. The, the diabetic shoe program through the Medicare program saves limbs and saves lives. And yeah. it is it is a great program that's continued to, to allow us to prevent wounds. And patients haven't been coming in to get their new shoes, again, because they're concerned about COVID. People don't see their primary care doctors, don't see their podiatrists, don't see their They're not seeing their cardiologists. Doctors. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just podiatry where yeah, we're seeing the it's everyone. But the unintended consequence in our realm has been the amputation level has definitely gone up. Yeah. And during this lockdown period, they saw that major amputations, we're talking about below knee or higher. So you're literally, you're going to be the using worst, a peg leg. Yeah, you're, the, yeah. you're wheelchair bound or you're, you're using a prosthetic device was 12 point times higher <laughs> compared to before the pandemic. That is yeah. so bad. Yep. And Imagine telling folks, the patient that you're going to lose the, that they're going to lose their limb, and it's not just like a toe or or part of their foot, but you're literally going to be handicapped for the rest of your life. And that and that was in 
patients in a foot and ankle service. So, yeah. so I mean, these are, this was in a specific foot and ankle service where they are well-trained in uh, restorative uh, orthopedics and traumatology. I mean, these were, these were people who deal with the, the limb salvage aspect of what we do for a living. And that was still a problem. Uh, odds ratio of 12.5. That's, that's scary. And, and these folks, unfortunately, are now in a category where uh, 60% of them may not be around within five years yeah. because of that amputation. Uh, the odds of receiving a major amputation was 3.1 times higher than before the pandemic. And that is scary. Yeah, that's the difference between a toe or your limb. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the difference when we talk to a patient who comes in initially my foot is red hot swollen. I have a spot on my foot versus someone who's been staying at home. They're like, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. I don't want to get COVID. I'm not going to the doctor. I'm not I, going to the hospital. I don't have a rapid test to test myself for COVID. FDA, you hear the crickets? So They saw the same thing in other it's, countries. It's not U.S. dependent. It no. was in Italy and in, in the Netherlands. I mean, they saw an increase in all of these amputations. So, again, yeah, we go back. If I mean, I'm joking with the crickets, with the FDA uh, aspect of this, but if they had rapid testing in the hands of all of our diabetic patients, they could say, okay, don't have COVID. I'm going to go in to a safe place where we keep all our patients out in their cars until their appointment time. We don't have yeah. the lobby full of people. The, the, the opportunity for you to catch COVID in our office is, is extremely low because yeah. we're social distancing. We're keeping people in their cars. If you could test before you came in, and then test after you got back home or the next day or the day after, you could be assured that you didn't catch it and get the care that you need so that you don't end up with the amputation that's going to be life-threatening. Yeah, most offices are doing some level of testing before they come in, but the testing they're doing is temperature-based. Right. and It's a screening, yeah. and it's not nearly as effective. Yeah. Not nearly as effective. Because of the, you're, you're not going to capture the asymptomatic folks. Yeah. Oh, uh, or you're in that, in that period where you don't even have symptoms, that four to seven days. Yes, you're, you're catching it too early. Yeah, so I think this this paper that was published back in November really highlighted uh, something that we were already seeing, which you know again was very scary. <laughs> so be like the Mandalorian, keep distance from others, avoid large groups, and never touch your face. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> yeah, big Mandalorian fans, we both are. Um, you know, I think if we all wore Beskar, uh, we'd be all right. But. Uh, I don't know if that's possible. Well, I mean, Dr. Hussein, I think we're doing the best we can. I think it's absurd that the Texas Department of Licensing and Registration is going to limit our ability to do injections. We could be doing vaccinations. So if our friends and family are hearing this, reach out to your you know, state association. It's different in every state, but the Texas Department of Licensing and Registration is responsible for that. And they could wave their magic wand and make yeah. that that ridiculous, ridiculous bottleneck go away. And for allow all it. specialties. For all specialties. Just. Yeah, not just us, but for all specialties. Understand that this is a global pandemic, that this is a public health emergency. We have people dying every day here in Texas and all over the United States. And we can't vaccinate enough people. I mean, clearly there aren't enough warm bodies capable of doing this. And that's absurd because they're here. We're here. We're reaching out. There are 16,000 of us in Texas that are all capable of doing vaccinations, all capable of doing them. And uh, right now we can't, and it's absurd. 
Um, so if there are two things you get out of this podcast, it's one, I'm, I'm ticked off and I'm, I'm really angry with, uh, you know, both the Trump administration and the Biden administration, both of them, because right now we're in the, you know, the lame duck um, aspect of, of the transition of power. But somebody needs to pull their head out and uh, get us the rapid test that we need and to stop these ridiculous bureaucratic bottlenecks that are keeping us, uh, keeping Americans from uh, access to rapid testing. Because uh, clearly that's the way to establish where these, these breakouts are happening, where these hotspots are and, and squash them. Yeah. Um, let's be like Slovakia. You know, I, I never thought I would say that. No offense to Slovakia, yeah. um, but uh, good job, Slovakia. Hats off. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, we, we salute you, Slovakia, because you guys are doing it right. Way to go. And, and you're leading the world. Uh, we need to be rapid testing everybody. So we are 39 minutes into this. So I will get off my massive soapbox. And Dr. Hussein, thank you for putting together the slides. Again, I, I do want to shout out to Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. Um, listen to their podcasts. They're fantastic. Lex, again, thank you for having Dr. Michael Minna on. And we are hoping to retweet as many clips and quotes from that podcast as possible to just help get that out there in the universe and hope that somebody important is listening to this uh, so that we can change this within the next few weeks, hopefully. So thanks again. We are the Pod Doctors, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.